Guys, you don't need any money to buy real estate. Let me repeat that one more time. You do not need any money. Say it out loud, say it out loud with me, guys. You do not need, say I do not need any money to buy property, to buy any real estate. Stay tuned, don't miss this episode. I'm gonna be interviewing my friend, Todd Foster. He's got 15 deals, lease option deals right now where he's got literally no money out of his own pocket, none, nada, zip, zero, zilch, nothing. Don't miss this episode. We will be right back. Welcome to the Flip for Freedom show, presenting you with the best tips, tricks, and strategies that'll help you be successful in business without sacrificing life. Featuring powerful stories and insights from successful investors in both national and local markets, you'll get a clear look into the processes and mindsets that drive personal and professional achievement. True success starts with the right framework, and we want to help you build it. Now, let's get started with your host, Brett Iwanowitz. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Today, you guys are tuning in with a special guest by the name of Todd Foster. So, Todd, he's a fellow member of Ascend. I haven't heard uh, Todd's story on how he got started, so I'm actually really, really excited to dive in to hear and share that stories with you guys. But Todd, thanks for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, thanks, Brad. I, I appreciate it. I'm uh, excited to, to share with your audience. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I don't know why I'm so excited about this. Like, for because maybe I haven't heard your or, your origination story. That's really, <laughs> I really love hearing people's well, stories, stories, and that's what excites me the most. So, uh, before we get started going down that road, it'd be cool for you to share with people actually what you're doing right now. Like, what, what is your specialty um, in real estate? Uh, what some of your maybe some of your uh, goals you're working on now, and, and what that looks like? It'd be really cool. Yeah, sure. So, um, I am what I would say uh, I, I call myself a, a pretty house specialist, and uh, all that really means, uh, Brad, is that I really like to buy nice houses that don't need a lot of work. And that's kind of uh, different from what most real estate investors come in. I mean, they, they see um, HDTV and, and mm-hmm. a lot of these fix and flip shows and, and they're kind of trained to look for junkers. And I'm looking for nice homes, ideally that no, don't really need any work, um, mm-hmm. but that the seller is willing to give me a little bit of time to pay them off in full. Uh, and in exchange for that, I can pay them essentially top dollar uh, through some type of a creative financing deal structure. And so um, that's, I mean, in a nutshell, what 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 I do. Uh, so it allows me to buy properties and create uh, multiple paydays from each each deal. Um, and we we collect this this upfront deposit from uh, the tenant buyers that we put into our properties, and then we uh, collect the monthly residual cash flow. And, uh, and then there's also these big backend spreads when properties get cashed out. So um, high level, that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm doing now. As far as uh, goals, you know, what, you know, my wife and I are um, building our real estate business, just one, one house at a time. And, um, and ultimately, the end goal is to uh, create enough monthly cash flow to, mm-hmm. to live off of, right? Yeah, uh, to cover our monthly expenses so that uh, we don't necessarily have to buy houses anymore or, or don't have to um, go out and, and earn what I would call active income. It's it's more chasing the, the passive income number. The more and more I hear about that stra- strategy, like I'm just intrigued more and more because I love how you can get a payment upfront, you can cash flow it, and then you cash out on it. And that's all spread out over time. So it's reducing your taxable gain at the end of the year, right? Plus, For sure. you're reducing the gain because of the amount of time that you've, aka, quote, I don't know if it's you've owned the property because you're doing like lease options with these people, right? So I don't know what that legally or technically looks like, but you're also reducing that gain on the sale of that property as well, right? Yeah. So some of the properties that we use all different types of uh, creative deal structures. So um, some properties will take over subject to the existing mortgage. So we will actually own them. And as long as uh, we don't sell them within a year, uh, then yeah, it does uh, reduce the uh, the capital gains to uh, to a long-term capital gains. Um, the lease options, yeah, are a completely different story because we don't technically own those properties. Mm-hmm. We're just 
leasing them with an option to buy and then subleasing them with a, a higher price option to the to the end buyer and making that spread. Um, so it just it, it, every deal is a little bit different. It, it completely depends on uh, how the seller wants it structured or if the seller cares or, or what the best structure is for us to be able to make money. Um, so some of them will actually own, other ones will just actually control. Yeah, dude, I, I love that. No, I love to flip houses. The only, well, I, let me rephrase that. The only thing I love to fl- about flipping houses is I get to design them. I hate the process. I hate the process. I hate the stress. And I hate the headaches. I hate dealing with the contractors. But what I love about this model is you don't have to worry about any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's so funny to hear uh, a, a fellow real estate agent say that because when um, when we first were getting into the business, um, I I never really wanted to rehab houses, uh, and I think I had seen way too many shows on HGTV, which I love. I mean, I, I love seeing other people take this, mm-hmm. you know, this broken down house and turn it into something beautiful. But it always seemed like there was contractor headaches and, and things like that involved or hidden surprises. And uh, I just felt like I didn't want anything to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, especially the dealing with contractors uh, part uh, or any of those headaches. And so uh, the method that that we use, yeah, I mean, like I said, we're we're really targeting properties that need little to no repair, mm. so we don't necessarily have to have that headache of dealing with uh, with contractors. It's really just all creative deal structuring and knowing how to set up the deals so that the seller gets what they want, which is usually not all the times, but usually it's uh, full price or something very close to it. And uh, we obviously need to make money as well, right? Yep. So. Um, knowing how to structure those deals is is really pivotal, and as you can imagine, it's um, I think it's a lot easier to talk to sellers from a place of, hey, it's okay, I, I don't mind giving you a good price. Versus, um, you know, when I first got started in in real estate, um, I was trying wholesaling, and uh, the thing I had a really big now, there's multiple things I didn't like about wholesaling, which we can circle back around and talk about if you want. But um, one of the primary things was I just I didn't feel comfortable making lower cash offers. It's just it's just me as my personality, right? I, and um, I'm and it could have been the way that I was doing it. It could have been my delivery. I mean, who knows? But I, I felt like um, there was a ton of people that I sat with in their living room, and I'm making them a cash offer. And if I just had a different way to make them an offer to get them the price that they needed, that the deal would have been so much smoother. I would have had a lot more deals mm-hmm. you know, way back, way back then before I'd actually learned some of these creative deal structures. Does that make, does that make sense? It does. It's yeah. That's a tough conversation to have with people. The John Martinez training really, really helped me dial that process in. Cause you're, you're sharing with the seller, Hey, I'm just one option. So that's like communicated multiple times throughout that, that process. But the other thing is it helps me, and this is just for the people listening, like I'm very conservative. And if it wasn't for being in a mastermind, if it wasn't for having a coach and really n- narrowing down or nailing in my goals and also understanding the value that I bring to people, um, if I hadn't done those things, it would be a lot harder to negotiate with a seller because I'm going into that deal to say, I have X, Y, and Z goals, Mr. Seller. I'm not saying this out loud, but in my head, I'm like, X, Y, and Z goals, and this is my number and it's okay if it doesn't work out. I don't work with everyone not the highest offer and that's okay. So that makes it easier for me to make offers on those properties. Also, I'm very conservative. So let's just say I put a property under contract and I can't find a buyer for it. If I have to close on it, like I want a good, I want a good profit on the back end of that deal. If I have to rehab it myself, yeah, because sure. I'm not set up as a flipping company. I do flip, but I'm not set up to, to be doing two or three deals a month. So it's going to take me a little bit longer to do that flip. It's going to cost me a little bit more more money to do that flip because it might take me longer to find the contractors and I might Mm -hmm. might wait to find the right contractors. So, you know, I need to make, you know, 35, 40,000 on that flip. So at the end of the day, my number is if I were to close on this and buy it and flip it myself, then I'm happy with what comes out at the end of it. So for those of you guys listening, now, John Martinez is a great guy to look at his uh, look at his videos on YouTube for negotiating with honesty and integrity and just laying literally every powder on the table. Um, but thanks for sharing that. I definitely want to touch more on your process of buying pretty homes because 
Another thing that I love about it is, well, you know that I'm selling all my rentals here in New York right now, but I would still do what you're doing in New York because I don't have to be a landlord. Yeah. Right. There's, there's, it's a, you're buying it with an option for someone else to buy it. And from what I know, when that happens, they're responsible for any maintenance on that property. And I'm coming across some really good homes that I'm wholesaling, but right now I'm just trying to build up cash, pay down debt, you know, start a 401k, a Roth, a life insurance policy, build this really solid foundation, have, you know, over six figures in a a bank account, liquid, have another account liquid to do some lending out of or to fund my own deals if I wanted to, things like that. So if I were to buy a rentals here in New York or look at, you know, do I want a whole property? This is definitely going to be what I would look into. I just sold a property here for like 70 grand. I bought it for 42. Mm-hmm. It's worth 150. And it would have been a perfect lease option where it was located, the taxes, the ranch, siding, new roof, all the mechanicals were great. Just needed some TLC. Now that one, I would have had to put a little TLC into it. But like, there's so many people looking for that price point in that type of house. Um, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And as a, as a longer term investor, um, so I think a, a lot of people when they look uh, are trying to find their, uh, their go-to niche uh, in the, in the real estate world. I think uh, a lot of people are attracted to having rentals due to the, the long-term aspect of it, right? Um, but one of the things that's not attractive about rentals is being a landlord. I mean, yep. like you, you touched on it. And that is one of the great things about how we set up our process and we do our deals. When we put a tenant buyer into the property, yeah, they're responsible for 100% of the repairs or maintenance that, that come up after the first 30 days. So I actually give, uh, give clients a kind of a 30 day bumper to bumper warranty on the, the major systems, like yeah. what I would call like the hidden systems, like uh, heating, cooling, plumbing, electrical, right? Uh, things that they really need to be in the property to, to make sure that they're working. But after yeah. the first 30 days, you know, if, uh, if in the sixth month, the furnace goes out, it's their responsibility to fix it. If a furnace needs to be replaced, it's their responsibility to fix it. Why? Because they're going to own the home. We're yeah. training them to be home owners, right? And that's all part of, of our process. And uh, most people that I know that do lease options actually set it up that way. So yeah, it's a, it's a big benefit to where you're not you know, dealing with uh, the mm. tenants calling you all the time for little bitty repairs or, or anything like that. So I, I very rarely get calls from any of our tenant buyers because they're completely self-sufficient, just like a homeowner would be. That's awesome. And how many of these properties are you guys, you have right now that, that you have people in with the option to buy? Uh, I, you know, we're sitting around uh, 15 or so that haven't got cashed out just yet. Dude, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And so uh, a lot, it's, it's so funny because a lot of them are starting to get cashed out. We've had, uh, you know, a few, a handful of them over, especially during the COVID timeframe, as interest rates have come down to this all time low, uh, even though financing is getting harder and harder to come by, people have started to realize, man, interest rates are in the twos, mm. low threes. I mean, it's never going to get any better. And so um, yeah, we've where where normally what you would see is that maybe a quarter uh, of your properties that you have lease optioned would actually get cashed out, or the, the tenant would actually exercise the option to cash you out. We're uh, we're seeing a much higher rate than that, um, you know, especially over the last year, and uh, which is fine. I mean, the ultimate goal is for these properties to get cashed out. We do everything possible to turn these people into homeowners, but at the end of the day because they still have an option to purchase it. It's not an obligation. Yep. It's really up to them, you know, to, to do the work that we give them access and tools uh, uh, to, you know, mortgage brokers and credit repair people or whatever they need to, so that they can be successful. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still up to them to do the work. And we're finding a lot more of them are doing that work right now because prices are skyrocketing and they've locked in at a, at a really good price, right? And the interest rates are low. So it's it's never been a, a better time if you're a tenant buyer in a rent to own to pull that trigger and, and get the property cashed out. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. So yeah, I, I so in New York, we can't, um, can you guys market on the MLS, the properties that you don't own? 
where you are? Uh, I, you know, I never have, honestly. Um, I, I believe you can, but you'd still have to get the owner's permission. So gotcha. I, it's, it's not something I would do. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious because I, I know, I mean, it, it's extremely difficult to buy properties anywhere right now. And I feel like this, this is kind of where you have a competitive edge on selling homes to people because maybe you're finding deals that the other people wouldn't why otherwise find. And for me, if I'm, I'm essentially wholesaling right now. So that's like by in, in and out in like five years, but during mm-hmm. that time, I'm going to be coming across properties that I, that I know could potentially make it a, a lot of money for me if I were to do a lease option. Um, but we can't, fortunately we can't market them on the MLS. I don't think. Maybe maybe we can get the seller permission, but I'm just thinking about how. You, so how do you market these properties to the to potential find buyers? tenant buyers? Yeah, yeah. It's honestly, man, it, it is like the easiest part of the business is finding buyers. Um, I've had a number of uh, students over the years that are always wondering, like, "Hey, Todd, I mean, if I get a property under contract, like, what if I can't sell it?" Yeah, and uh, and I almost kind of chuckle at that because it's it's so easy. There's mm so few people actually doing lease options or rent owns or so few of those properties available that you put an ad on the internet. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, Brett, all we do is we put the property on Facebook marketplace uh, and Craigslist. And that is about it. They, people come out in droves. You'll have more people calling about that thing than, than you can really handle. Wow. Um, and we used to put out uh, street signs like bandit signs and stuff in and around the property to generate even more calls. But honestly, I haven't had to do that in quite a while just because the, the amount of traffic that just you know, the internet ads um, bring in. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, hmm. And so screening those calls is really the hardest part. <laughs> it's one of the most challenging parts of the business, <laughs> honestly, because you just, you get so many people yeah. that want to find a nice, good home and they see the pictures and say, it's, it's a rent to own. It's a beautiful looking home and a great neighborhood. Right. Uh, so that's, it's not really all that, that difficult. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, finding deals, uh, in this market is probably the biggest challenge that any real estate investor yep. is, is facing right now. Uh, but one of the things that I like about what what I'm doing is I've, I've always felt like I have a little bit more of a competitive advantage over uh, wholesalers or, or uh, you know people that are maybe in what I would call the ugly house side of the business where you're, you're looking for the, the properties at 60, yep. 70 cents on the dollar that, that need a lot of work. Uh, because I can drive up and down any street in my neighborhood or in pretty much any street in, in, in the United States. And there might be, you know, five to 10 homes on that block. Let's say there's 10 homes on that block available for sale. Well, nine out of 10 of them are going to be in pristine condition, show ready condition and in good shape. And the other one out of 10 might be that ugly house. And that's the one that all the wholesalers and rehabbers are fighting over. And I'm working the other nine, right? Uh, Because I'm looking for the properties that don't need a lot of work. So what I'm looking for and the deals that that I uh, am, am targeting is just flexibility from the seller. You know, can they give me a little bit of time to cash them out in full? Can they mm-hmm. take a monthly payment for a period of time? Um, and not everybody needs all their equity out of their property right away. Now, everybody wants it because they think they're supposed to want it. Yep. But uh, that's not the case. They don't actually need it. And so just by asking a series of questions to sellers, you, you get to... Um, you get to uncover, okay, do you really need the money right now? Or can you wait a little while and it create a better deal for you? Because at the end of the day, the sellers, and I tell sellers this all the time, look, if you can give me a little bit of time to cash you out in full, you will net more money selling the property to me than any other way you sell it. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's selling it to, with, with a real estate agent uh, or, or whatever, right? Because with me, you don't have to pay the commissions. I pick up the closing costs. I'm flexible. You know, you don't just, you, you leave the thing as is, right? So there's, uh, and then they're, they're collecting a monthly payment on top of that. So they just, they net more money when you look at the net sheet. It just really comes down to, are they flexible enough to give me a little bit of time? And uh, a lot of them are, but... I still, I've got nine out of the 10 houses on the block to work with <laughs> versus yep. that one out of 10, if that makes sense. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So I'm going to pretend like I know nothing about real estate and I'm hearing you talk while well, you're, you're, you're leasing these homes, doing an option for a rent to own with a, mm-hmm. with a buyer. Um, how does that work on the seller side? Because if they have a, what happens if they have a loan or, or, or a note or have a balance on a note, what does that look mm-hmm. like? Yeah. So it, 
it doesn't matter if it's free and clear and it doesn't matter if there's a, a mortgage on the property. Um, there's plenty of different ways to structure it. Mm. Uh, and ultimately it really comes down to what it is that the seller needs, not only in terms of time frame of getting cash out, uh, if they need any kind of cash up front, um, you know, or, or just how long they can wait on their equity. Right. So if they have, let's say they have a mortgage on the property, um, a lot of times we'll do uh, a wraparound mortgage. So let's say you, uh, I don't know, let's throw some numbers out. I mean, let's say you've got a, a property that is worth say 300,000 and you owe 200,000 on the property, right? So you get about a hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions uh, to determine, you know, what, what's the least you're willing to sell me the property mm-hmm. for. And let's say, you know, you're willing to sell it to me for two ninety, two eighty five, something like that. So it's a, so then you've got $85,000 worth of, equity or so, you know, in, in the property. So I might um, buy the property with a wraparound mortgage for 285. Uh, and to, if you needed your money within five years, then I'll just put a five-year balloon in there. So I'll make you a payment uh, for up to five years. And there's a balloon payment at the, at the end of that time frame, right? Um, or let's say that you needed let's say you need a little bit of moving money. I mean, that's a pretty common scenario that we run yep. across. People are like, Hey, you know, like I, yeah, I, I can sell it to you. I can wait on my equity, but I do need a little bit of cash to move. So let's say they need $5,000 worth of moving money. So we can get them that money up front and then just pay them the balance of their equity. When we cash out of the property sometime within the next five years. And, and the cool thing about that is your the whole business model is that home is being sold within that five years. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, um, so, and so like in that scenario, let's say we agreed to buy it from you for 285, uh, you know, we might mark the property up to 3099, uh, or, 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 you know, or up to 300,000 and, and sell it to a tenant buyer that way and then collect that spread. Right. So we're going to put a tenant buyer into the property. That's going to give us a, a non-refundable option deposit. They're going to pay us a monthly rent payment, which is going to cover what we're paying to the seller and then some, right? So we'll have a, a monthly spread there and that creates that, that passive income, that monthly passive income that the, the landlords, uh, you know, just love. Mm-hmm. And, and then when the property does cash out at some point down the line, once the tenant buyer eventually brings their financing to the table, you know, they, they bring their mortgage to the table and it cashes us out. And then we take out that underlying mortgage and what's, what's owed to the seller at that time. So yeah, well, all we're doing is basically building in spreads. That's right. It's really all we're doing. I'm going to make an, an assumption here because you said five years. So from my understanding of this process, usually like I talked to Scott Spears about it, he kind of sent me over some documents to look at what he was doing here in Rochester. But I think his time frame for a lease option for someone to execute that to purchase a home was about two years. Is that kind of what you're, you're looking at? Uh, our tenant buyers, I, I'd say 90% of the deals that we do, Brett, we give our tenant buyers a year to get the property cashed out. Wow. Um, now we have to be fair about it. Um, we have to pre-screen them and make sure that they realistically can get qualified within a year. And that takes somebody much smarter than me looking at their credit yep. and determining that. So we, uh, we funnel everything through a mortgage broker, uh, who looks, who's got 30 years of, of uh, experience in, in the business and, and they look at their credit and say, okay, you know, if they do this, this, and this, you know, in the next year, we can get them qualified for a loan or we should be able to qualify for a loan. And if, uh, they look at some, you know a client, a potential client's credit or a potential tenant buyer's credit, and they're more of a two-year project. Well, then we we can't really put them on a one-year lease option because yeah. that wouldn't be fair, right? We're not going to set people up for for failure, uh, so we have to set them up for success. So, but I'd say ninety percent of the people really only need a year or so to get to get cashed out. Uh, and what we've so what we've essentially done by negotiating a longer time frame with the seller is we've given ourselves more at bats at the plate, if you will, with, with a tenant buyer, if we yep. need it, right? That's so we can put somebody in there. Yeah. We put somebody in there for a year and then let's say they can't get cash out with that time frame. Well, we can extend them if we want, uh, or, you know, maybe they decide, you know what, uh, you know, we're, we're going to move and we're going to forfeit our, our option deposit and, you know, we're not going to exercise our option to buy. Then we move somebody else in. It just, it gives us time to get the property cashed out. And now, have you ever had to close on one of these yourself? Not yet. Good for you. That's not yet. 
I think I mentally kill so many deals. I'm like, what if I got to pay <laughs> 300000 for this house and no one buys it? And I got to yeah. come up with all this, you know, I got to go finance this money, maybe come up with 100000 out of pocket or whatever it is to, to close on that. Yeah. And I, I uh, if I'm honest with you, I had that roadblock in my head when I first started as well. And it's been 10 years and that hasn't come up, knock on wood. I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One, I'm always baking in enough time with the sellers mm. uh, compared to what I'm giving the tenant buyer. So I have, I have options. And uh, so I've always got, you know, multiple plans or multiple exit strategies. And usually one of them is not me financing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I've never had to do that. And I think the other thing that I've always had in my back pocket is, is I've talked to uh, other investors and some of my mentors who are, you know, way smarter than me. And they've always said, look, you can always go back and renegotiate the deal with the seller. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that could happen if the balloon payment comes due? Well, you, if if you don't want to finance the property, uh, and I'm not saying I wouldn't. Yeah, um, it's just never had to happen. I probably would if if that if that came about. But you know, if you didn't want to do that, worst case scenario is you could go back to the seller and say, "Hey, I'm not in a position to cash this out. What could we do? Could I pay you a slightly higher price? And can you give me a little bit more time?" Mm. Right? There's there's always the deal after the deal of the renegotiation. Um, and if you did not want to buy the property, let's say it was a lease option or something like that, and they didn't want to extend you, then at the end of the day, you you give them their property back because it's it's their home. If if you just if you were just controlling it for a period of time, but I've still made money, you know, along the way. Um, yeah. Knock on wood, I've just I've never been in that situation. Thankfully, we've always uh, the, the ones. Anytime we've committed to get the property cashed out in a, in a time frame, we've we've done that. Awesome. No, so. thanks for sharing that. I'm gonna hit pause right now, and I want to do hit rewind. Okay. Because I would love to hear what you did before you got started investing in real estate and like in really how you dialed in that this is what you really wanted to do. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's pretty interesting because I, I grew up in a, a blue collar family. Right. And I uh, was the first one in my family to uh, go to, go to college and get a four year degree. And I think just because of the nature of the, the household that I grew up in, it was always ingrained in me to go to college, get good grades, get a nice, safe, secure job. And if I'm honest with you, that message just never really resonated with me. Uh, there was something to me about getting a... It was almost like an oxymoron. Like safe, secure job just seemed like like it didn't exist, right? And so I had always kind of questioned the status quo, uh, but I didn't know what else to do. So I went to college and got my four-year degree. What I did right in that process was I went to a college at a, a co-op school, a small co-op school in, in Michigan. And all that really means is that I would work... You had to have a corporate sponsor to, to go to college there. And General Motors was my corporate sponsor. And we would have these rotations for uh, essentially four years where we would work for three months and then go to school for three months, work for three months, go to school for three months. So it's just a continual rotation mm -hmm. the entire time you're there. And so I got to, at 18, 19, 20 years old, really got to experience corporate life and what it was like to live in a cubicle, uh, you know, really? through General Motors. And it was really eye-opening um, to the point to where, man, if I'm being honest with you, I just, I, I'm like, I hated it. I, I was, mm. I wanted nothing to do with it. And so that was kind of where I started in, into the, the working world and realized I just, I didn't want to be an employee long-term, but I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have any other options. So I was always looking for something. And I, over the years, I had tried multiple multi-level marketing organizations like Amway, Shackley, like, and I got nothing against any of those. I think they all work if you actually work them. Um, I tried... Uh, day trading, stock option trading. I mean, just, just anything to get me yeah. out of that, that normal day job. And uh, a lot of it didn't really work out for me. But then I ended up going to a, a seminar, essentially, and uh, kind of heard some things about real estate that I thought were pretty interesting. And was trying to figure out, okay, how do I get my foot in the door in real estate? And I actually started buying cheap, and I'm talking cheap, like mobile mm. homes in my area, 
And the reason I was doing that was because I was, I was scared of losing money. And I figured, mm. well, if I buy something really, really cheap, and I'm talking like a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, right? Wow. Uh, and if I buy something, which doesn't get you much, <laughs> it's like, it's like a 30, 40 year old mo- mobile home, like at best that needs a lot of work. But I figure, okay, if I, if I buy it that cheap and go in and just fix it up a little bit, you know, paint carpet, make it look presentable. I knew that I could turn around and sell it for six, seven, eight thousand dollars and maybe collect, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars up front, which is basically what I had into it, and then yep. just collect payments and finance the rest. And so I started doing that. And I did probably eight, nine, ten deals. And then I just felt like that model wasn't scalable fast enough because uh, I wasn't making the type of cash flow that I wanted. I mean, it was it was a mm. great return on your investment. Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but I was kind of looking for something different. And that's kind of when I discovered uh, the, the, that you could essentially do the same thing with single family homes if you were smart about how you bought properties and just bought them bought them creatively. So yeah, that was, that was how I uh, got started and kind of ventured into the, the creative space. And the interesting thing, um, as I was I think as I was doing the mobile homes and kind of looking for, okay, maybe this isn't going to be my, my end all be all niche. And, and I, I think I had started kind of looking into some of the other real estate investor groups in our area. And it seemed like everybody was pushing me into wholesaling and like, Oh, the easiest way to get started is to go find a property and then just turn around and wholesale it. But remember where my mind was at from my corporate days, right? I was, I was like, well, this just that seems to me like a, a, a job, yeah, for, yeah. For, for lack of a better way to put it. Because I, I looked at it, I was like, well, yeah, I could go find a property and then turn around and wholesale it. But then as soon as I do, then I get one paycheck and I got to turn around and do it again and then do it again. And that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for a way out of the nine to five job. So I was always kind of looking for more of the passive income stream. So wholesaling never really appealed to me uh, for, for that reason um aside for the you know the other one that we talked about with the what i felt like it was just i wasn't really set up uh psyche wise i guess to uh, yeah the mobile offers so yeah yeah i've been uh i don't know selling all my rentals is scary right because i'm hitting reset on what was a probably a significant part of a retirement um it was mm-hmm. like yeah like 17 units total all together it's like yeah. 13 properties all in great areas um had already had some great appreciation on them good rents good you know good good prop really good properties and um so now i have no passive income anymore and i'm like well how do i start making passive income with no no, I shouldn't say no money, but maybe no money to a little money out of pocket. And I think this is one of those vehicles that someone can use to start building passive income with little money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the other reasons that I was drawn to this model, uh, not just because you could create these deals and get this upfront infusion of cash, just like a wholesaler would get, right? I mean, that the, this this model has those wholesale checks on the front end when tenant buyers put those option deposits in. On top of that, you get the monthly residuals, and then you get these back end, you know, um, uh, spreads that'll pop every now and again uh, when the properties get cashed out, uh, if they get cashed out, and you know, so so that was really uh, attractive. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I, I, there's, there's so many things that I I like about it, but the the other thing that uh, was attractive that you had mentioned was you just didn't need money or uh, in my case, credit uh, to, to enter into any of these deals. Nobody was Mm -hmm. checking my credit. Um, and when I first got started, I mean, I, I already told you, I didn't have a lot of money. That's why I started with the, uh, the mobile homes and I was scared of losing what little money I had. And these types of deals can be structured so that you don't have to use your own money uh, on, on the front end. Like even if the seller needed five, ten thousand dollars up front and moving money or more, I'm going to get that from my tenant buyer. I'm going to structure these deals in such a way that I don't have to give any of my money out of pocket. And I can tell you, Brett, I've been doing this for 10 years now, and I am so thankful that. 
I actually started from a place of not having money because I feel like mm. if, I, if I would have had money when I first started, I probably would have been lazy about it. Honestly. Yeah, would have gave it away. Like, here yeah, you go. Yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah. yeah, if a seller's like, yeah, I, I need $20,000, okay, here you go. Uh, but I didn't have that money. So I had to learn these other ways to create these deals and do deals that didn't require me having to use my own money. And to this day, 10 years later, I am like, I, I just refuse to put my own money into, into my deals because I know that you don't have to. Right. Yeah. So I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad you brought that up, Todd, because, you know, from someone who doesn't have a lot of experience, um, digging into this model, maybe some of the listeners don't have any experience on these options. Like, well, where do I get the five grand from if the seller needs some money and the way Todd structures his deals is he gets that money because on all these options or rent to own, um, that renter has to pay a fee upfront, which I don't know what your fee is. And you don't have to share it if you don't want, but like, if I were to do it, I would want 10 grand upfront. That's what I would charge. And then, then that's when the seller gets that money to move. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So let me break it down for you. So let's say that, let's say you're a seller and I go into your home and I'm going to either lease option your property. I'm going to buy it with some type of owner financing. There's a lag. There's, I mean, you're not moving out tomorrow, there's yep. usually 30, 60 day period where you, you've got to move. Um, or if the property is vacant, you still negotiate, you know, 30, 60 days before, you know, you have to make your first payment. Right. And so there's always, you always give yourself time. Once you get the property under contract with the seller, then you, you turn right around and you start marketing for your tenant buyer. So by the time I actually close with the seller, I'll get an agreement signed, say today, and, and we're going to close in, in 30, 45, you know, 60 days. By the time that 30, 45, 60 days comes along, I've already got my tenant buyer lined up. I know who's going into that property. And I've also collected an earnest money check from them. Right. So now when I go to closing with the seller, I'm, I'm using that money that, that came in. Uh, mm -hmm. And as far as what I'm collecting for a fee, Boy, the easiest way to describe that is uh, the more money a tenant buyer can put down, the better, better chance they have of getting into yeah. the property. And I don't have, I don't have set minimums, um, you know, Brett. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, anybody that calls me that that wants to get into one of my rent-to-own properties, I'm going to pre-screen them and ask them, okay, well, I mean, I typically have multiple properties available. What's the most amount of money you have available to put down on on your beautiful new home? Uh, and what's the most you can pay for rent? And I and I let them know. I don't want to talk to you about properties that are outside of your price range. So what, mm -hmm. what what's the most that you can you can do? Right. If if I have a five hundred thousand dollar property, I'm not letting that thing go for any less than fifty sixty thousand dollars down. And so if they've only got twenty sitting in their their bank account, then they're not going to qualify for that. Right. So I I just have to know those numbers up front. Um, but at a bare minimum, I will tell you that I. I refuse to put people into any one of my properties without them putting at least 5% of the purchase price down. Okay. And the way that I justify that, it's very simple. It's like, well, look, let's say that you had perfect credit and you went to the bank to try to get financed and get conventional financing. You're going to have to put 5% down. Mm. You can get an FHA loan or a VA loan with, with less, but conventional financing, they're looking at a minimum of 5% down. That's if they've got great credit, right? Yep. So if they come to me and they want to get into one of my rent to owns and work with me and they have horrible credit, I don't care because I know that we can work with them to get that horrible credit fixed up over time. And time is what I give them. But if they don't have any money, if they don't have the source of their down payment, well, why, why would I take that risk and work with them? Right? Like a yeah. lender's not going to work with them if they don't have 5% down, if they got great credit. And so that's, part of the the rationale that I look at it is like at a, at a minimum I'm collecting 5% down and then that also sets that that end buyer up so that they don't have to do any more saving you know over the next year year and a half or however long they have to get the property cashed out it's just a simple matter of them you know taking some steps to clean up their credit because uh, we all know saving money for a lot of people at least in this day and age in this country is hard yeah. right yeah. and so I want to take that off of the table for the tenant buyer. I, I don't want them to have to worry about, oh, okay, over the next year, I got to save up another $5,000. Otherwise, I'm not going to buy the property. No, they're not going to get into the property unless they've got at least 5% down. And if they have more to put down, then great. Um, mm. That's that's kind of the way that that we look at those. No, thanks for sharing that. Have you ever had anyone, 
like multiple people interested in a particular property and someone says, well, hey, like, look at, I'm willing to pay X amount over that. Does that scare you away? I know sometimes when we're going to look at running properties and someone's like, well, I got 12 months of rent cash here. We're like, no, I don't want that next. And then I move on to the next person. Yeah. So I, I it's tough to answer that question. So yes, I have I, all the time. We have multiple people interested in the property at the same time, but I don't advertise the down payment. I don't advertise gotcha. the minimum down payment. So they don't know uh, what, what we're looking for. So each time that, so I might get you know thirty calls in one day, and everybody's interested in the property. I pre-screen them all the right way, right? And so I know from the first person all the way down to the thirtieth person that called me, I know how much they have to put down on the property. And guess what? The one that has the most to put down on the property—that's who we're rooting for. Like, hopefully, yeah. they like the property, and if they want to turn in an application, then they're going to get you know first first dibs. So nobody really knows, um, you know what what it is that we're looking for. We're just, we're looking for somebody that has the most amount of money to put down. And that ultimately leads to more security for us as the investor. Yeah. Uh, and it's much more likely that the tenant buyer is going to cash the property out as well, which is yep. the right thing to do for the seller. Right. So that's, that's how we structure those deals. So I, I don't really have to deal with any of that. Like people saying, well, I'll give you this much more than, or in, yeah. in playing those, those games. It's just, okay. Like, Pre-screening what, is really all it comes down to. What if, what if the seller lives in their home and you have to show it to these people? Like, how do you manage that relationship? Yeah, so it's that's not uh, it's not the ideal way to do it, right? Um, I would prefer that the property be vacant. So a lot of times, what we'll do if the seller, if it depends on the motivation of the seller and the reason they're selling, so a lot of sellers will choose us because they don't want to list it with an agent and have a bunch of people traipsing through their house and keep mm. the property in this show ready, perfect condition. Right. And so if I know that, then I'm going to structure the deal slightly different to give myself time before I have to make that first payment. Uh, and I'm mm. typically going to yeah, give myself yeah. 30 to 60 days after they move out. Right. So let's say that I was buying your property and you lived in it and you just, you didn't want me showing the property and you know, while you were living there perfectly fine. Uh, then my, I would just structure the deal and such that let's say we're going to close in 30 days. And after you move out of the property and, and you, you know, obviously uh, leave it in, in good shape as you move out, uh, then my first payment to you would maybe start 30 or 60 days after you've moved out. So that still gives me time to show the property when it's vacant. Mm. Um, most sellers though, don't have any issue with me showing it to a handful of people. So it, it all really comes down to pre-screening. So I, mm. again, I, I still might get a, just a boatload of calls on the property, but I'm not going to take people out there and show it to them if they're not really strong candidates financially. So as long as I pre-screen on the front end, it minimizes the number of people that I need to walk through the property. Uh, and sometimes, actually, I mean, in this market, honestly, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just ask the seller if we can you know, if they can leave the property for two, three hours on a Saturday, and we'll just, we'll have everybody come out at that time and just do a, um, you know, a shortened version of, of, an, of an open house, so to speak, where we can push everybody through the property so they can see it. Right. And then that so, minimizes the impact for the seller. It sounds like when you're working with the sellers, they're aware of what you're doing with these properties. Is that always the case? Or do you always disclose what your plan is? It comes up. 95% of the time, um, they want to know, Hey, if, if I'm giving you time to cash the property out, how are you going to get it cashed out? Mm. Right? And so then, and so then I'll share that business model with them. Uh, some of them care, some of them don't. Um, and it, but yeah, it usually does come up. That's a pretty common question. Like, well, how are you going to get the property cashed out? And so, uh, yeah, we do share that with them typically at the property, you know, when we're, when we're making our offer and, uh, haven't really seen that be a, a huge, a huge issue or, or drawback. I mean, they, they understand that we're in business to make money. And yeah. uh, as long as we're, as long as they're getting what they want, which is usually price, uh, and we're getting what we need, which is time. then there's usually a structure that, that can work for both parties. Now, how would someone like myself instill confidence in a seller if I have never done a deal like this before, cause I can tell you what, like working, like I, I completely kill a deal on a phone call the other day, 
it was a listing that died. The, 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 the buyer never showed up to this property to close on. And this lady, and she was just her person. Her, she had a great personality. I'll just say, I'll just say that. But she's like, have you, have you bought any homes in Brighton this year? And I'm like, well, like, like this year or last year, she's like, well, just have you bought any homes in Brighton? In my mind, I want to be like, well, the hell does that have to do with anything? Like, why does it matter if I bought any homes in Brighton? But I was like, no, I haven't. And immediately the tone of that, that it just changed. And it was like the air got sucked out of her. She immediately mm -hmm. like lost confidence in me because I did not buy a home in Brighton this year, which so if I'm going into a home in a situation like this and I'm like, well, I know this is the business spot, but I've never done it before. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to always be honest. How would someone deal with that? We'll call it a deal killer and, and work, mm -hmm. work around that. Yeah. So if, if a seller, let's say asks you, Hey, have, have you done these types of deals before? What I always encourage you uh, to do is, um, you want to be honest, uh, but you need to deflect that question if you haven't done any before, because you're right. A lot of times if you say, no, I've never done one before, it's, it, it might be a deal killer, right? Um, now, if you are partnered up with somebody that has done these deals before, and this is what I coach my students to, to say, is uh, if, if they were to say, you know, seller would say, hey, Brett, you have, how many of these deals have you done before? Then your answer would be, well, you know, between me and my partner, we've done X number last year, yeah. or X of these over the, the last couple of years. Uh, and it doesn't matter if your partner has done all of them and you've done yeah. none of them, you're, you've still got a coach. You've still got a partner that's holding your hand through, uh, through the process. And I've never, ever had, to my knowledge, any student come back to me and say, yeah, the seller saw right through that. Um, and you're being honest. You're saying, you know, look, between me and my partner, we've done this many of them, right? Um, I just... I like to deflect that question. I like to coach people to deflect that question because in my mind, like you said, it's, it's almost irrelevant. If you know what to do with the property and you've got the right team and the right, you know, people to, to pull the deal off, then, you know, then let's get go ahead and, and do the deal. Um, but yeah, if somebody was going to ask me specifically, now if they ask me specifically or they ask you specifically, no, I, I'm talk, talking about you, just you, then I would say, go ahead and answer it honestly, right? We never want to lie to people. Um, but sometimes I feel like you, you, you almost need to deflect that question if it. If I, I struggle with those deflecting questions because the way I want to respond is, will they look at? If I can get you this dollar amount, can we do this deal? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's do this deal. Is that how you would deflect that? Because that's in, but you can't be that direct with people. Cause I almost just punch people in the face with that brutal honesty. And I know you yeah. have to be very careful on the delivery yeah. of that, of that response. Yeah. So for, I mean, for this particular objection, uh, what I shared with you was how I got through it. When I first got started, I, I leveraged somebody else's experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and now when it comes my way, I just, I just tell them this is how many, you know, deals, deals we've done. Um, and, uh, and, or what, what I will do a lot of times is I'll just say, well, you know, don't take my word for it. There's a testimonial page on our website replete with a ton of testimonials. Like go, go look at that. I'm not even going to steer you towards anybody. If you want to talk to any of them, let me know. I'll give you their phone number and you can, yeah. you can reach out to them. Right. Uh, and so just, just showing that confidence up front is goes a long way. I, I think what a lot of sellers really want to know is, are you, are you confident? Like, can you really get this thing cashed mm -hmm. out? Can, can, can you really pull this out? That's what they're really looking for is they're testing your confidence in the deal, right? By asking how many of these have you done before? I, I, I so, you know, I think if you, if you have confidence that you can get the deal done, yeah. Then answering it the way that, that you said, uh, is, is just fine too. You know, well, let me ask you this. If I just turn around and, and deflect by asking questions, which is, it sounds like you, you were kind of doing, does, if I can get you this price for the property and I can make these payments on a monthly basis, yep. like, I mean, does it, does it matter if I've done 50 deals last year or 10 deals last year? Does it, yeah. does that, does that matter to you? Yeah. Or it's like, well, um, you know, what would we need for you to have the confidence for us to do this deal together? I think that's right. another question. Well, what could I do? to instill the confidence that we can get this done together. Right. Um, that's why, dude, I love, I still have a lot of things to work through, but there's other areas in my life where I want to continue to build on my confidence level. But that's why I love having a, the idea of having a coach. And that's one of the things that I share with my students is like, who cares what you know or you don't know? 
who cares that you don't have money? Who cares that you haven't done any deals? You just say, well, look at, I mean, we've done 20 deals last year. Like right. you can say that with confidence. Like that's what's so great about working with a coach and a mentor is that you get to borrow their their confidence. Yes. You get to borrow their experience. And for the cost of what that looks like, yeah, well, let's just say you had to spend 20 grand on coaching that year, whatever it is. I'm, I can't imagine me 20 grand, but 10, 15 grand for coaching for a year pays itself back on one freaking deal. Yeah, I know. So if you have to pay for someone's confidence for the that very small cost, I know to a lot of people that seems like a lot of money. But let's just say it takes you two years to save 10 grand and you go out and learn how to build wealth with a mentor and get to borrow his experience and his coaching. You, to me, that's better than trying to just make stuff happen out of nothing. Like you're you're working the nine to five, you're hustling till nine o'clock at night after work. You know, you got kids and you got a family, everyone's suffering, you're suffering, you're trying to grind it out. Like to me, that's the better option is to put a, bu put a budget together, save some cash, work with a mentor and a coach, and they're going to accelerate that growth and get you to where you want to go and so much and, and so much faster than trying to grind it out on your own and figure those things out. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I still to this day have uh, mentors and coaches cause I, I believe that everybody, you know, has something to learn. And I think that you know, we're, we're in the same uh, mastermind group. And so I, I know that you believe the same thing. So yeah, I, I totally agree with everything that, uh, that you said, um, invest in yourself is, is huge. And it'll, it'll get you where you want to go faster is, is what I've seen. You know, I, I've, I've had mentors and coaches over the years that have taken obstacles and hurdles out of my way that either were real or perceived yeah. <laughs> on, on my end. Um, but it, you just, it just accelerates the process. Um, and yeah, I've, I, when I first got started in real estate, uh, I ended up hiring a coach and I financed it on credit cards and I, I don't recommend anybody do that by the way. I did it. Uh, yeah, I did. I, know, I did. I did it too, and it was really stressful, uh, you know, paying that back. But I, I did my first deal. It was thirty or forty days, maybe after I ended up hiring a coach, and um, ended up making fifteen grand on that deal. And lo, and is almost is too sounds too good to be true, but like I paid fifteen grand for the cost of the coaching, mm. right? And I had six months worth of coaching that that I had paid for, and so. The, the last five months was essentially a free roll for me. <laughs> and I wish, I wish somebody would have told me up front, like, this is what's going to happen. Cause then it would have been a no brainer. I wouldn't have yeah. struggled through that, that mental decision. But um, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's always a good thing when people are invested. Let's, we don't have too much time left, but I want to touch on the topic of like, I'll, I'll share with the viewers that you might've heard the story already, but I got to a point in my life in my career where I said, I know I have what it takes to be successful, but I need help. And that's when I decided to swipe that credit card because I knew if I swiped that credit card and I got the help that I needed from there, I would make that money back. I didn't know how long it would take, but I'm like, I'm ready. I just made the decision to like, this is it. This is like my make it or break it. If I can't figure it out with help, then I'll never get to my goals. And I had complete faith. Like I don't suggest people put things on their credit card like that. Yeah, me neither. But that's where life gets real. And if you spend that money and put it on a credit card, you you better do whatever you can to get that money back as fast as you can. And that's where I was when I did it. I don't know why you decided to put it on a credit card, but what motivated you at that point in your life to say like, look, I'm just going to swipe this $15,000 on a credit card and figure it out. Like what was going on in your mind when you decided to do that? I remember just feeling this utter sense of despair. I had, mm. I had shared with you that I, I, you know, I had a young age, I knew I didn't want to be in corporate America, but when I found real estate, it was like 13 years later. So, I mean, wow. I had been in corporate America for a long time and I had almost come to the point where uh, my subconscious was telling me this is as good as it's going to get. So just mm. deal with it. But then my, my mental brain is like, shut up. Like I, this, there's gotta be <laughs> something better. Right. So I had this internal struggle. I, I don't know how to describe it any other way. And it was just, it was just this anguish <laughs> inside of me that was like, it's gotta be better. And so when I went to the seminar and they were talking about, you know, coaching, I just, I just wanted to believe that it could work for me. Right. And I'm so thankful that. I did. I don't, I don't really know what it was, if there's any one thing that 
got me to just pull the trigger. I think it was just this inner sense of knowing that I was going to need help. Um, and I wanted to do it fast and I wanted to just quit struggling with the nine to five. And I, and I wanted to know that, that I, I could do it. Right. And I, I knew that if I had a coach, they would be building me up. Uh, and in addition to actually helping me doing deals. And I, I just, I just felt like I needed that at that time. Does that make sense? It does. You said desperation. I think that's like the key. People always wonder why we experience pain. Like pain isn't a bad thing. Like without desperation for you and me, we, neither of us would have taken that next step um, to, to start really being serious about real estate, to really look at the life we wanted and say, Hey, I really want that. I need help. And this is part of what that process is going to look like for me. And for those of you guys listening out there, like this is what business is about, even though we were in despair to to seek help and get help. It's paid off so many times over for me. And I know it has for you. Like that's business in yeah. general. Like you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be upset. And the only way to be successful in business in real estate is to become a problem solver. And for me, that's so important because like you had to figure out a way to come up with cash to finance these deals, right? You had to become a problem solver. You had to solve how you can get the seller the dollar amount in order to get to their home. You had to figure out how to screen the people and find the right people to put in your home. And I feel like, especially when you're flipping and you're running, I feel like there's a lot more problems along the way, problems that you have to solve than maybe what you're doing. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but if you're not ready to get punched in the face every day, like, and this was really cool. I got feedback about my podcast from someone the other day. And they're like, dude, your podcasts are way better than the bigger pockets newbie podcast because like you actually tell it like it is. Like your yeah. podcasts are real. You you share how difficult the process is. And that's the whole point of this podcast for people, because you need to know what to expect when you're coming in to something like this. And I was just having some free time the other day and just keeping my mind open to ideas. And I struggle with so many things in my business, but what I realized is it's okay if I don't know how to do those things. Yeah. I can pay someone else to do it, but that doesn't make me a bad business owner for years and years. I'm like beating myself. I'm hammering myself. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm not good at all these things and it's stealing my confidence. Had I known like it's okay because there's so many successful businesses out there that these people don't know how to do shit in the business. They just know how to put the right people together. Excuse my French, but they're amazing business owners, amazing at connecting people and coordinating people and building people up. I'm only sharing that because I feel like a lot of us try to, we try to wear so many hats and the point of where I'm going with this, it's okay not to know what to do. And it's okay to be vulnerable and lay everything on the table and say, I don't know, please help me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It does not make you a bad person. It does not make you a bad business owner. Um, vulnerability is the only way to grow. And yeah. it's like, if you can't be vulnerable, then you will not get to where you want to be. So, yeah. you know, thanks for being honest and sharing that story with us. I could continue to rant on about that forever and ever because <laughs> like, I wish, I wish more people looked at life and the trials as, as a way to get to where they want to be, not as an obstacle to where they want to yeah. be. It's a roadmap. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And it's okay if you don't know what to do. It's okay to ask someone, hey, what do you think I should do? As long as you know where you want to go. You know, this is what I want to have in five or 10 years. This is what I want it to look like. You can always find someone to help help you get that plan dialed in. Yep. Um, yeah, but Todd, you shared a lot on this podcast today. I got a ton out of this. That's why I was really excited to get you on here, Mandy. Because I'd love to know more about the, about the process. So thanks for sharing a lot of those golden nuggets on, on what a lease option looks like. And for anyone out there who's interested in connecting with you, maybe even inter- be interested in your coaching platform. I don't know if you're taking on any new students, but how could people actually get a hold of you to, to talk to you more about that? Yeah, the easiest way to reach out to me, uh, if you want to know more about buying pre-houses and how I structure deals and creative financing... Uh, go to learn pretty houses, learnprettyhouses.com. Uh, there's a link there where you can actually connect uh, directly with me. Uh, I give anybody that's interested in learning more uh, a free 30 minute consultation. Uh, what I will say is there's a video on that 
uh, on that platform as well. Uh, make sure you watch the video before you schedule time uh, on my calendar so that you know what questions to ask so that uh, if we spend some time together, it, it's more beneficial for you. Um, but uh, the, the video that I have there, I actually go through uh, five or maybe six different types of creative deals of deals that we've actually done. So I'll show you the pictures and stuff of the home with numbers. So you can see you know, how we're making the profits, how we're structuring the deals and, uh, and just kind of get some of those wheels spinning. And I would say if you are a, a wholesaler where you're, especially for wholesalers where your main business model is, um, you know, just going out and finding the ugly house properties. This is a great, great tool that you really, I think, need in your tool belt to just round out that that those options for the sellers. Because you're going to come across people, as I'm sure you have, Brett, that you know they just they can't take your cash off or they need more, right? So to be able to lay this out and say, well, I could get you that price if you know we do this, this, and this. Could that work for you, right? Uh, and that's that's really where we specialize. So. Uh, you go ahead and check us out there, learnprettyhouses.com and, and uh, certainly reach out to me if anybody wants to schedule time with me. Um, happy to sit down with anybody that's looking to, to learn more and uh, you know, getting, getting started in the business. Well, thanks for sharing that with the listeners. I know I'm actually going to... I'm really interested. Thanks for... I didn't know you had a website up with that information, but if you're doing deal breakdowns like that, I, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to go listen <laughs> to that. It's... You know, I've learned in my business, like I need to get really good at one thing. And, and maybe, I mean, I think I've seen this as a trend in Ascend and other masterminds is like we try to wear so many hats. It's hard to dial in a process for every, everything that we want to do. So it's kind of like getting a point in your business where you have a lot of stuff automated, where then you can bring in that other tool in your tool bag or actually pull that tool out and start using it here and there. And I, I feel like I'm getting close to that. And, um, know getting all my properties cashed up which is really dialing in like at some point within the next 12 to 18 months i would love to try to start bringing some passive income back in so yeah guys, I, need- I, I i i totally want to just um tell you i i agree with that approach brett because I, when I first started, there was a million different ways I could go. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually got laser focused on this particular creative financing strategy, like on the pretty house side of the business that my business started to take off. And as we started to systematize things over, over the years, and as, as you're doing in your business, it gives mm-hmm. you the opportunity to branch out. Um, so I, same advice from, from me, like stay, stay kind of laser focused in one area. Uh, and then as you get that dialed in, you know, especially if you're a really dialed in wholesaler, right? Then, then you can start to bring some of these creative concepts into, into play. It's still, while still focusing on your core business, but what if you were to just add one or two or three extra deals a year, just by asking the seller a couple of simple questions, right? What would that do to your income to have those, those deals coming in? And then what would that start to do to your long-term portfolio where you can mm-hmm. start to bring in some of that passive income? So yeah, totally agree with, with being laser focused. You know, great yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I even realized that bringing in something too soon can throw your other processes out of whack. Yep. Because they're not dialed in where they need to be because you haven't done it long enough to be confident. So when you go meet with a seller, you don't even take them through the first process you should. And you're starting to bring this other process in too right. soon or not at the right time. And then you're killing that deal. Right. I mean, yep. I've, I've been there where I'm trying to learn so many things at one time where I'm killing deals because... I'm not even good at the one thing I'm trying to do. Right. right. So yeah, guys, you know, it's great to want to do a million different things, but real estate is, is a, it's not a get rich quick thing. And I, I think you and I are similar where like I, where you're talking about the mobile homes, like you kind of dipped your toes in the water. I'm like, let me dip my toe a little, then my ankle, (laughs) then my calf. And like when people put pressure on me to make decisions quickly, I'm like, no, let me just do this slowly and figure it out. You know, um, that, that's just me. So I, I take a little bit longer to do things as I, I, when I do it, I want to be fully confident. Um, but just take your time to master one thing. And the best way, I think there's, there's a theme with my podcast and the, the big part of the theme, and it's really intentional. is like find mentors, find coaches, joint venture, you don't need money. You don't need experience. Find the right people. Look at their their integrity. Look at their character. Um, you know, because this there's requires some trust up front to do deals with people to join venture with deals. But find people 
and this is what I do when I meet someone I want to do want to want to do business with or consider like working with. We even talk business. We talk about like their vision, what they want in life, like where do they want to be in five years, where do they want to be in ten years. I really dig deep, um, and I'm kind of going on a range here, but I'm only because I'm so passionate about people not getting to use that excuse where I don't know anything, or I don't have any money. So you don't need to have any of those things. Okay. You just need to have the mindset of I'm ready and I'll do whatever it takes. That's it. Yeah. I dig in that same way with, with, uh, with, with people when they come to me and ask for help is, is what is it that you're looking to do? What is it that you want to accomplish? Cause there's a million different ways to accomplish, uh, you know, something and, and depending on what they want to do, I might not be the best option yeah. to help them. Right. Yeah. And so they, they need to be, a little bit more clear on what it is they want their end goal to look like. What do they want their business to look like, you know, a year down the road, three years, five years down the road uh, and doing pretty houses might not be the best option for them. Yeah. It, if, if they don't know what they want to do, it's going to be really hard to figure out how to get there. Right. So yeah, al- always starts with the vision. And you and I think have both learned that over the last couple of years through, uh, through our time in, in Ascent. And that's, that's been something that's helped me immensely. So for sure, I actually have to rewrite some parts of mine soon. Soon it might happen uh, next month. Are you going to be in Florida next month? I am. Yep. I will see awesome. you there. Uh, looking yeah. forward to it. Well, Todd, thanks so much for your time. I can't wait to get this, this podcast out because this is definitely something that excites me at this point in my career. So we have your website. Any, any, do you have an email where people can reach out to if they want to shoot you an email or do you want to send them all through that website? Yeah. That, so the easiest thing to do is just to go, go to that site, learnprettyhouses.com awesome. and they can connect with me and, and actually schedule time directly on my calendar that works for them. They'll see what I have available. And then uh, uh, we could take any discussions from, from, from there. So. Well, that's it. You guys on this episode of the flip for freedom show, Todd, appreciate you. Um, I, I'd even, dude, I, I'm trying to figure out how to get new guests on or just getting some of the former guests on the show. But I think uh, one cool thing that I'm just thinking off the top of my head is like doing a, doing a deal breakdown with someone would be, would be really cool. I'm trying, I, I love hearing people's stories and we get a lot of that, but I really, really love to dive more into the numbers and things like that. So if you're open to it, maybe down the road, we can just kind of discuss a deal from the point of contact with a lead, what that looked yeah. like on a negotiation run through some numbers and things like that. Cause I think that would super, be super fun for me and, and also yeah. everyone out there to be able to Absolutely. Walk, walk through yeah. a deal like walk through the numbers and do some yep. role playing and stuff. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. That'd be great. Sweet. All right, Todd, uh, I'll see you in Florida and take care my friend. All right. Bye-bye. Adios. That's all for this episode of the flip for freedom show, but we have you covered with even more value. Head on over to the Flip for Freedom private Facebook page and gain free instant access to some incredible resources and Brett himself. There is power in numbers. Need accountability? Help closing your next deal or running some numbers. We have you covered. Take advantage of this limited opportunity. Interested in learning how to find, fund, fix, and successfully flip your next home? Looking for a serious dose of accountability? Brett jumps in the trenches with you, making sure you stay on course to hit your goals. Get started today and head on over to www.flipforfreedom.life. Flip for Freedom Coaching offers holistic support wherever you are in your flipping journey. We bring the reinforcement, you get results. We'll catch you next time here on the Flip for Freedom Show.